It is a terrible feeling when you have to wait to get answers about how a loved one died. The longer the wait, the worse the feeling. Luckily, in the case of Helen Mealers, her family was able to get an answer, even if it took four decades to get to them. Today, we talk about the solved cold case of Helen Mealers. Hey guys, and welcome back to my podcast. I'm your host, Lulu, and today we're talking about a solved cold case. Quick update on what's happening around here. I ended up upgrading some of my equipment because I do plan on having some guests on the podcast eventually every once in a while. And so I had to upgrade, you know, my desk and do a couple of those things. In the upgrading process, I did upgrade, you know, some of my soundproofing, some of my pop filters and things like that. So things might sound a little different, you know, in the upcoming episodes as I mess around with that, find the right balance that I like. Um, And yeah, we also ended up moving my desk to get ready for the construction that we are going to do in my house. So it's in a temporary spot, but it has officially been moved. And a lot of the soundproofing that was around me for a while is now gone. So hopefully you don't get too much background noise that you can like pick up on while we talk about these cases. Anyways, that's pretty much the only update I have here. I hope you listened to Friday's upload. Um, That was really fun and I've already gotten a lot of really positive reactions on it. So if you haven't listened to Friday's upload, I recommend going and listening to it because it was a really good episode. But let's go ahead and talk about Helen Mailer. Helen was a very, very sweet woman. And she would meet and fall in love with the man that she would spend most of her life with. She did rely heavily on the support of her husband. She was really known for taking care of people her whole life. And just, you know, the love that she had for other people around her. But like I said, she relied heavily on the support of her husband to do these kind of things. And to really just, you know, support her because she was supporting everybody else. This was, however, until they would share their 50th anniversary together. Unfortunately, shortly after their anniversary, he would end up passing away, leaving Helen alone. Helen was not used to being alone, and now that her support was gone, the things that she used to do and the home that she used to live in with him quickly began to feel unsafe. And she was nervous about living there alone, and she just didn't want to really be around anymore. Helen decided, since there was nothing really tying her here, he was gone, and she really didn't like it and feel safe that she was going to start looking at new homes to move into, because she just wanted to be somewhere that she could feel safe. Helen would look at quite a few homes until she settled on her favorite. This was an apartment, but it was a secure apartment. On top of that, this apartment was also on the second floor. So not only was it secure, she was around other people, but it was also high up. This set well with Helen and she felt safe in this apartment. She moved right in. She was not made aware, however, of the fact that this particular apartment building was being targeted by somebody who was breaking in and stealing things from the other residents in the building. 
Helen's family supported her moving out and into this apartment. And like I said, she was known for taking care of everybody around her, so they were really glad to be seeing her taking care of herself now, doing something that she wanted to do. And after she lived there for a little bit, the family ended up organizing a vacation together. Helen was involved in this, and they decided that they were going to do a family vacation. Most of them. Some of them didn't. Last minute, though, before Helen was supposed to go on this vacation, she would end up calling the family that she was going to go on this vacation with and tell them that she wasn't going after all. She was a 79-year-old woman after all, and she just didn't feel very good, so she canceled on them. Her family supported that, they understood. Helen was trying to take care of herself now, and that was good. But Helen was not supposed to be home at all that weekend. It is unknown if the following actions by this person that we'll talk about in a little bit were planned because she was supposed to be out of town or if it was just a coincidence that she was supposed to be out of town that weekend or what. But the night of the incident, Helen would start to get ready for bed. She obviously didn't feel the best, so she probably turned in early. She locked up her apartment and she went to bed, hoping that she would feel better in the morning. Helen's apartment was still locked when her daughter and son-in-law, who also did not go on this family vacation, would arrive to pick her up so that she could attend church with them. When they realized the door was locked, they knocked and Helen did not answer. Helen's daughter did have a key to the apartment for emergencies and she decided to let herself in because it was a plan after Helen had canceled going on that, you know, family vacation that she would attend church with them. It was planned and they were wondering, you know, if she had slept in or fallen or something. So they went ahead and let themselves into the apartment. And that is when Helen's daughter and her son-in-law would find her. Helen was lying on her back with her nightgown pulled all the way up. She was covered with blankets and pillows, some of which were covering her face. But the pillows and the blankets did not cover the very clear bludgeon marks on the right side of Helen's head. Next to her was a candle holder that was very clearly used as the murder weapon. Glass and metal was covering the room. On top of that, there were bloodstains on the floorboards and covering the walls where it had splattered when she was hit in the head over and over again. Now, if her being murdered violently wasn't bad enough, it looked as though to Helen's daughter that she was sexually assaulted. This would later be confirmed when the authorities would arrive and look at the scene. Her daughter and son-in-law would immediately contact the authorities and they would arrive quickly to check the room out confirming, like I said, that she was sexually assaulted and that the candlestick was definitely the murder weapon. After looking at the scene and speaking to her daughter and her son-in-law, they would conclude that the apartment was not broken into because the front door was locked and there was no sign of any forced entries. All of the locks were fastened safely and not broken at all. So the murderer would have either had to have been invited in and asked to stay the night, 
or entered in some other way. Upon looking, the only other sign that they found was that the murderer could have entered through the sliding glass window. The sliding glass window was still opened without the screen in it. Upon further inspection, they would locate the screen on the floor below. But that was very strange to them because Helen was on the second floor. So they would have had to somehow gotten to her window on the second floor and broken that way. It did also look like her apartment was ransacked and that this seemed kind of like it was a robbery that had gone wrong and Helen was just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. The investigation that would follow would start with questioning people around the same area and the other occupants in the apartment. This was used in an attempt to try and find out if somebody saw something or maybe knew something or someone who was targeting Helen in particular. But if things couldn't get worse for Helen, there was no witnesses and nobody had heard anything. So no leads would end up coming from the start of the investigation and they were just empty handed. When this got them nowhere, they decided to dust the scene as well. They wanted to see if they could find fingerprints or anything that was left behind from the person who had entered the apartment. They were really hopeful that this was going to get them somewhere because the murder weapon was left at the scene. But there was no fingerprints left in the apartment from the person who had entered Helen's apartment. With no leads, they decided their best option was to send Helen off for an autopsy. They were crossing their fingers that this autopsy was going to tell them something they did not already know. But it came back and just confirmed what they already knew, that she was sexually assaulted and that she was killed by that candlestick. It gave them no more leads either. They tried for the longest time to find some sort of lead, something that could tell them who killed Helen and what happened that night. But this just led to dead end after dead end, and they got nowhere. And finally, because they really had no other choice, they packed up Helen's case, and they filed her away, hoping that someday they'd be able to find enough evidence, or someday somebody could come forward and tell authorities something that could close the case. But until then, Helen was going to collect dust. Helen's case would sit cold and unsolved for almost four decades before they decided to reopen the case and look at it again to try and figure out who killed Helen that night. The LAPD decided in 2014 that the Cold Case Homicide Unit would begin to review a very large backlog of unsolved cases. This was because they now had advanced DNA testing and they felt like this DNA testing could solve a lot of these older cases. And that's when Helen's case was pulled out of the filing cabinet. When her case came up out of the, you know, piles of unsolved older cases, they would look more into it and realize that they had actually taken a blue and white blanket from the scene. This was because this blanket seemed like it had some semen on it. At the time that they had taken this blanket, there was no way that they could test this semen, but they were hopeful one day they could, and that blanket was still sealed and ready to be tested. They would remove it from its bag and look at this spot again, and it indeed looked like semen still. 
they would cut this section off and send it off. Crossing their fingers, they were right. And it came back. It was semen. And it had flagged to somebody that was already in their system as a criminal. A man who was currently serving prison time for another murder of a Santa Monica couple. This man's name was Harold Holman. Harold was currently serving time for the murder of 67-year-old Gertrude Frost and 72-year-old Odo Frost in their apartment building located on the 8th floor in 1980. When they had reviewed the footage of the murder, they saw Harold scaling the side of a 14-story apartment building by climbing and jumping from balcony to balcony before he would find a home that he could enter. On top of the murder, he was also charged with two more break-ins. In one of these other break-ins, he had also shot a woman's dog, and in the other one, the woman that was home would lock herself in the bathroom and scream for help until somebody finally came. When they looked over his file, it became clear that Harold was responsible for the murder of Helen. So they brought Harold in and asked him about her. At the beginning, of course, he did not give them anything. That was, however, until they informed Harold that they had DNA proof on a blanket that he had left after sexually assaulting Helen that he was responsible for the murder. And that is when he began to talk. He would admit to robbing the apartment that she was staying in. He had robbed multiple of the apartments in that building. When they pressed him a little more on this, even though they knew they had footage of how he did it, he would tell them that his shoes would have suction cups on them and he was wearing goggles that would allow him to see in night vision. I did read that this was possible, but it would take a lot of stamina and strength to do this. But he was caught on video footage pulling himself up and jumping from balcony to balcony as well. So it's not shocking that he could have managed to pull this off if he was mixing a bunch of other climbing techniques on with the suction cups on the shoes. It's very possible. Harold would inform them that he would break into these apartments and steal a variety of things. Jewelry, coats, cash, and anything that screamed that it was of value. Obviously, that he could climb down with, because he had to climb down. He informed them that he wasn't targeting certain people. It was mostly all focused on the apartment buildings and who left their balcony unlocked. And unfortunately for Helen, she had left her apartment. Or rather, her balcony unlocked that day because she was on the second story and she felt safe enough to do that. So they decided to charge him. During this trial, Harold's lawyer would claim that there was no way that Harold was responsible because he had an alibi that night. This alibi didn't get them far. I couldn't find out why, whether that was, you know, a lie, a false alibi, or anything like that, but it didn't get them far. Then, his lawyers decided to bring up the fact that Harold was never a suspect until they reopened the case. And they really insinuated and pointed at the fact that the police department was just trying to pass the buck on somebody, especially somebody who was already serving prison time. 
Harold's lawyers would try everything they could to make it sound like the police department was just trying to rapidly close these cases that had been open for years and that they planted evidence and just made the whole thing up. But it was very clear that it was Harold. I mean, he broke into an apartment building that was on the second story. He broke in through a sliding glass door that was open. They had previous footage with a different incident of him scaling 14-story buildings, stealing, breaking in. They had all of this evidence, and they had the blanket that was on the scene with his semen on it. Basically, it didn't matter what Harold's lawyer said, because it was very clear that Harold was responsible for the murder of Helen. Harold Holman would end up being sentenced to life in prison at the age of 70 for the murder of Helen Miller in July of 2016. Originally, Harold only had to serve seven years of prison time before he was eligible for parole. But once they handed him the life sentence for the rape and the murder of Helen, they stripped him of that eligibility and he was handed a life sentence without the possibility of ever getting out. It took almost four decades for Helen to get the justice that she deserves and for her family to get the closure that they deserve. As much as it sucks that they did end up having to put her file away to gather dust for so long, I'm so glad that she finally got that closure. I hope this is the case for all of our cold cases that we have. Unfortunately though, the truth isn't always as easy as one piece of evidence that just needs to wait it out until we have the technology to find the murderer. Sometimes we don't have anything to go off of. Here's to hoping one day we can close all of the cold cases just like we did for Helen Mueller. There may be false or misleading information throughout this podcast. All facts have been researched to the best of my abilities, but accidents do happen. If this is a story you are interested in knowing more about, I highly recommend doing your own research. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.